0: Well, tonight we're going to read together from the New Testament again. I don't think we have had any evening in the book of the Acts. Uh, so we're going to turn to uh, the book of Acts tonight, and we're reading from chapter 26. Acts chapter 26. I'm commencing to read tonight uh, from verse 19. Acts 26 and verse 19. The uh, speaker at this occasion is the Apostle Paul. And here he is in a very gripping encounter. Now, I didn't mean to say that, but it kind of fits, doesn't it? Because the man he was speaking to was a man called Agrippa. So, a very gripping encounter with, with Agrippa. So, here we go. Now, whereupon, O King Agrippa, I was not disobedient unto the heavenly vision, but showed first unto them of Damascus and at Jerusalem and throughout all the coasts of Judea, and then to the Gentiles, that they should repent and turn to God and do works meet for repentance. For these causes the Jews caught me in the temple and went about to kill me. Having therefore obtained help of God, I continue unto this day, witnessing both to small and great, saying none other things than those which the prophets and Moses did say should come, that Christ should suffer, and that he should be the first that should rise from the dead, and should show light unto the people and to the Gentiles. And as he thus spake for himself, Festus said with a loud voice, Paul, thou art beside thyself, much learning doth make thee mad. But he said, I am not mad, most noble Festus, but speak forth the words of truth and soberness. For the king knoweth of these things, before whom also I speak freely. For I am persuaded that none of these things are hidden from him. For this thing was not done in a corner. King Agrippa, believest thou the prophets? I know that thou believest. Then Agrippa said unto Paul, Almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian. And Paul said, I would to God that not only thou, but also all that hear me this day were both almost and altogether such as I am, except for these bonds. And when he had thus spoken, the king rose up and the governor and Bernice and they that sat with them, And when they were gone aside, they talked between themselves, saying, This man doeth nothing worthy of death or of bonds. Then said Agrippa unto Festus, This man might have been set at liberty if he had not appealed unto Caesar. Amen, and may the Lord bless his word to our hearts. Now just pause for a moment of prayer again together. Our loving Father, we do thank you for your precious word. There are certain chapters, Lord, in thy word that have become familiar chapters to us down through the years as thy children, as the people of God. Yet, Lord, we know that there's a multitude of people out there who have no knowledge of Bible passages or Bible characters or Bible records. But we thank you, Lord, this evening that there's a wonderful work going on in individual lives. And there are people here and there who are becoming aware of the things of God and of thy precious word. And Lord, tonight we pray that thy spirit will take an old and uh, remarkable chapter that has been often spoken upon and give it fresh life, Lord. And make it a vital message for someone tonight in the service, we pray. And glorify your name, Lord, amongst your people and amongst those who are still without Jesus Christ. Oh, speak into our hearts, we pray, for the honor and the glory of the precious name of Jesus our Savior. Amen and amen. Well, the meeting that we have read about, the context of it is, that it was not a very big meeting. So it's quite good to speak this evening when on a Monday night we may be a little smaller. But the important factor is that there were two people who were very significant to the account, and that is the man who was speaking and the man who was listening that is referred to in the passage. And the man who was speaking was none other than the Apostle Paul. Now, we've referred to him from time to time in the passages and in the sermons and messages of previous nights, but quite often we've been speaking about passages and uh, events in the life of the Lord Jesus. But what an amazing giant of a man the Apostle Paul was. What a tremendous testimony he had. He had been wonderfully, powerfully converted on the Damascus Road. He was an enemy of God. And he was, of course, deeply entrenched against the people of God, the people of that way, as it was referred to. And, of course, he finds himself on the way to Damascus, an old and ancient city from Jerusalem, with letters of approval from the Sanhedrin to go and round up these people who called themselves by the name of Jesus Christ. And on the way to the city of Damascus, God stepped into his life, and that was an amazing event. Somebody said that God struck him down, and he fell off his high horse of Judaism, and he found himself lying in the dust of the road to Damascus. And with the fall from his horse, There fell his whole religious Judaism and he rose up a new man in Christ Jesus, transformed by the grace of God. Immediately he was raised up. He said, Lord, what will you have me to do? And the Lord spoke into his heart. And my dear people, from that day, this man was set on a new trajectory in life. He had now been turned around completely. He had been transformed by the saving grace of Jesus. And he said, I obtained mercy. And isn't that true in so many of our lives? We can say tonight, yes, I remember. Now, we may not have had a Damascus Road encounter. There may have been no bright light that shone in the sky. There may have been no clear voice that spoke from the heavens. We may not have been struck down off our horse (laughs) or out of our motor car, but the work was the same. The transformation is the same. We have given up our trust in religion, in doing religious things, and we have come into a living relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And today we can sing, mine, mine, mine. I know thou art mine. Savior, dear Savior, I know thou art mine. Now this is a Monday evening and maybe in the providence of God you have dropped in tonight not really realizing just what the meeting might be like or indeed what the message might be that I want to share with you a little more briefly tonight. Because, you know, I was reminded of the preacher who came to preach. He was a visiting preacher. And when he came to the strange church, he found that the only man who had come to church that day was the sexton, the man to open the door of the church. And he thought to himself, shall I preach or not? And the man said, well, he said, you know, if I was uh, uh, going out, he said, if I had one bullock, he said, I, I would go out and feed him. Even he was only one. So he says, Your Reverence, go ahead. And the man began to preach. And he preached, and he preached, and he preached. <laughs> and the man was sitting down at the back. And so going out, he was a wee bit glum on it. And uh, he said, You know, Your Reverence, he said, If I was going out to feed one bullock, he said, I wouldn't take a whole trailer load of hay to him. He said, I'd just give him one wee bill." <laughs> He said, yeah, you didn't have to go on as long as that, so maybe I need to have a small trailer tonight and cut my sermon down. Like the man said, what are you going to preach on? Oh, he says, I'm going to preach on the sincere milk of the word. He says, would you make it condensed milk? (laughs) So we're going to condense it tonight a little bit. But Paul, the Saul the Pharisee became Paul the evangelist, and he was filled with the Holy Ghost as well, friends. There was a tremendous meeting in the Arabian desert with this man, Paul, when he came back after being out there alone with God and the anointing of God came upon him. He came in the fullness of the blessing of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And when he wrote to his people in different places, in Ephesus, in Corinth, and Rome, and in the churches of Galatia, constantly he was emphasizing to them the importance of the anointing and power and fullness of the Spirit of God and the blessed cleansing of the blood of Jesus. And that has been a two-string message in my life, my dear friends. And we see the effects of it when the Spirit of God comes upon a man and he moves from being a mere just. Uh, kind of moving but gets into a stride with God and the unction comes upon him like D.L. Moody and Oswald Chambers and so many others that moved from that level of initial devotion to Jesus to a place where they were yielded body soul and spirit to God and the fullness of the blessing came upon them and friends tonight I don't think I would be here tonight if that had not happened to me because I might have found my myself saved but farming in County Tyrone being the eldest boy in the family I would have been the inheritor of the land but God put his hand on my young yielded life and called me And whenever my father was buying another farm, and back in those days, in the 60s, an 80-acre farm was a fair size of a farm on top of the one that we had. And that was because it looked like I was going to be the next in line and the inheritor. And I said, you know, Dad, God has put His hand on me. God is calling me to full-time Christian service. He said, well, Son, if God is calling you into His service, then we'll not purchase the farm." And so other people bought the farm and I left. And it was a key thing and I never knew what it was like the day I left and set off from the potato sorter in the potato shed and jumped into a pair of clean clothes and a wee suitcase and set off for the boat, first time out of Northern Ireland, first time on a boat, just coming on 20 years of age it was, and set off across the sea far away to Scotland. And you know when I got over there and got to Edinburgh, my, it seemed like it was a thousand miles away from home. And I was knelt down the first night and I started to cry. And I remember Mr. Douglas, Edward Douglas, coming in and getting down beside me at the bed. He was the dean of the house. And he said, you know, Eric, if it doesn't cost, it doesn't count. And I said, it's very hard. And it sure was, because it was in my blood, friends. It was in my blood. I didn't want to leave the farm. But look back now, and I thank God for the cost. And when it costs, it'll definitely count. And God did something in my life, because He put His hand on me for service for the Master. And by His grace, I find myself still in that same track tonight. And I would say to all of you tonight, all those who are saved in the service tonight, don't hold back on the Lord. Put your life on the altar for God. You might not always cross all your T's and dot your I's the way I do, but I want to tell you there's a life of fullness in Jesus that will give you an enriched spiritual life and an effective service for the Master. You may not be a great soul winner, but you will definitely be a faithful, fire-filled believer. And your praying and your life and your ministry will be consistent with God and holiness until Jesus calls you home. This was the Apostle Paul. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I but Christ liveth in me. And a little earlier on in the same book, Galatians, he said, Christ liveth in me mightily, mightily, mightily. And then he said, the life which I now live, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. You know what the next verse is? Chapter 2 and verse 21 of Galatians, I do not frustrate the grace of God. And I tell you, my dear people, a life yielded totally to God, taken fire on board, filled with the Holy Ghost, becomes a channel for blessing. It never frustrates the grace of God. There's no blockage in the spiritual arteries of a man whose life, or a woman whose life, is altogether on the altar for the living God. And that's why tonight... I look back in my life with gratitude to Jesus Christ for all that he has done for me. I never will cease to praise him. But also as this man Paul was speaking, this man Agrippa, a very high-ranking Roman official, was listening. And people have been listening very carefully in the meetings. And that has been really lovely to find people and even the boys and girls. You know, I love boys and girls too because we've got seven, love, six little grandchildren and we praise God for them. A couple of them are getting big now, but they're always small and they always seem young. But tonight I want to tell you in looking at this man Agrippa, And as he was listening, the Holy Spirit was beginning to work deeply into his heart. And I think I see that master preacher, the Apostle Paul, read his man and see the Spirit of God playing on this man's conscience as he was speaking his testimony out and forth to him. And then as he addresses him, He said, Agrippa, believest thou the prophets? He didn't even wait for an answer. He said, I know that thou believest. And as that man listened, untouched and unmoved, he was educated to be that. But now he was touched. Now it seems he was moved. Some say it was a quip on the part of the Agrippa. I tend to think that rather than just being a quip on the part of Agrippa, a kind of a snide remark, I believe and I'm trying to believe that God was speaking to this man. You wouldn't come off with snide remarks to a man like the Apostle Paul. And what did he say? He said, almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian. And Paul looked at him and he said, Agrippa, I would that you were not only almost, but altogether a Christian. And tonight it's my deepest desire, and it has been in every service of the mission, that people would be not only almost, but altogether on the side of the Lord Jesus. I want to speak just now on three simple points. A day, an hour, and a moment. And the day was the day whenever they met in the council chamber. Yes, there were other people there. Festus was there and he got very angry and he jumped up and shouted out, Paul, you're a madman. Some people think that about me too. They think I'm a madman at times. But I'd rather be a madman and a fool for Jesus than be a madman and a fool for the devil. So, Paul, you're mad. You're a madman. And he said, I am not mad, most noble Festus, but I speak forth the words of truth and soberness. And the king knoweth this as well. And then we have that encounter where there is that interjection of this man Agrippa, almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian. You know something? God organized that encounter. It seems strange how it came about. Actually, Paul was on his way to Rome as a prisoner. He had said, I appeal to Caesar. And so he was going to be headed off to Rome very shortly, these two men would not meet again. And sometimes when we meet people, it's like ships passing in the night. We don't meet them again. We find them on the journey of life. We encounter them as we move along. And the Lord brings those two lives together. And I've seen this, not only in my own life and ministry, but in the lives of others. And people come into a person or an evangelist's life and it is a providential meeting. You know, ladies and gentlemen, God is always working providentially in our lives because he loves us, because he made us, and because his own son gave all that he had. His life, his life's blood on Calvary's cross. My dear people, the investment of God the Father in your life, is a high investment. God spared not His own Son. There's tremendous weight in that. God spared not His own Son. And it goes on further. It says, but delivered Him up for us all. What an accost that was to the Eternal Father. What an investment on the part of the Son of God. Have you read the Bible? Have you read the message of the scourging and the torture and the laughter and the mocking and setting it not of our Savior Jesus, the fairest of all the earth beside? the perfect man, the God-man, put it not, made to be as a, a bludgeoned victim and criminal and scoffed and mocked and nailed to a cross and lifted up as a spectacle before a jeering world. Oh, the cost to the Savior. How can we ever plumb the cost that it was for the Savior. Father, listen to it. Here here it is. Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. The shadow of the cross was no vague shadow. The shadow of the cross was the darkest shadow in the life of our dear Savior. And the agonies of the cross were the deepest agonies that anyone has ever suffered, not in the physical, because many were crucified. And indeed, whenever Rome swept in, in A.D. 70 under Titus, and crucified the Jewish people. They couldn't crucify more because there was no more wood to make crosses out on the hills around Jerusalem. Oh, the suffering of a cross. It was the most agonizing suffering that was known at that time. But for our Savior, His sufferings went infinitely farther whenever our sin was laid upon Him. And he who knew no sin became sin, or became the sin offering for us. Oh, what a suffering. What an investment on the part of the Savior. And lovingly, the Holy Spirit comes tonight to the mission, and indeed in these days to the mission, and he also invests himself into your lives and my life. He also invests His time and His his ability and His giftings into our lives. What to do to convince us of our sin, to bring us to an awareness of our need of Jesus, to bring us to a place of true contrition where we come brokenly and humbly and bow at the foot of the cross, how difficult that is sometimes for some people, especially for people who are very religious sometimes, or people perhaps who are very wealthy sometimes, and they say, well, ah, what do I need of this? I have everything I need. I live in gilded splendor. What do I need of this slaughterhouse religion, this blood message? And so they pass it off. But it's a wonderful thing to see someone even from that echelon of society high up in this world's possessions and very capable to see them come and to see them bow and take their place on the same level as the very ordinary common 5-8 man and say, I too am a sinner, I too need Jesus. I cannot buy my way into God's heaven or God's kingdom. I yield to the cross work of Jesus. Would you be that person tonight? Could you be that woman tonight? It's time tonight to come to this very special appointment, a day, what a day that was in Agrippa's life. You know, hindsight is a wonderful thing. And this man, perhaps, I imagine, that he would have looked back on that day, some days afterward, and thought about that meeting, and thought about that encounter and that movement of God upon his heart. But you know, it's true to say sometimes, There is a tide in the affairs of men, which, if taken at the flood, leads on to fortune, but if missed, can leave us in the shallows and leave us in misery. Don't miss the tide. When we walk down from our home through the arch there at the Metropole and Port Rush and walk along the seafront in the morning, quite early, some mornings there's lots of people out there surfing because the right conditions are there, and the waves are coming in at the right height and with the right roll, and the news goes around the fraternity, and they arrive to enjoy their sport or perfect their surfing, and you see them catch the wave, and they can come right in if they get right on the right wave, and they come sweeping in, right in to the very water's edge. Catch the wave, my dear man. Catch the wave of the Spirit and let Jesus bring you in. Let the Holy Spirit bring you into the harbor and bring you into the presence of Jesus your Savior. The day had come. This is the day, the 25th of October 2021. The hour. What about the hour? It was a very special hour as it came down to that moment and now we're coming down to the finer and the closer in of the whole experience. What has been happening during that encounter? Well, he had become aware of a man who had something that was real. He had become aware of a man who had something that was authoritative. He had become aware of a message that challenged his conscience and his consciousness. And as the Holy Spirit worked in the life and ministry of Paul into his heart, then the cost of becoming a Christian became a reality to him. How often in meetings the cost of becoming a Christian becomes acute acute and keen. I think back to some meetings and missions during our lives in ministry and service, not only in pastoral ministry, but in evangelism. I think of when we had a tent mission years ago in Port Rush, and there was a lady I trusted the Lord Jesus before the mission started. Well, whenever the tent mission started, her husband came with her. He had not attended meetings like that before. But as he drew near and came to the meetings night by night, there came a night when Jim came to the Lord Jesus Christ, walked through with a little portable hall that was just sitting beside the big tent, and walked in there. And he said, You know, I couldn't stick it any longer. I couldn't stick it any longer. And God brought him through. You know, as the mission went on, a few nights later, he brought one of his grown sons with him. Thomas came to the meetings, and whenever the Spirit of God began to work on him, then he, this fine young man, came through to the Lord Jesus Christ as well. How glad he was that he had come to the Savior, because a few years later he had an accident, a work accident. And he was almost in eternity because the glass that he was working with broke and went right down between his arms and cut one of his vital arteries. And they were carrying him to the, to the royal in Belfast. And they had to stop off at times to uh, keep his life together. What an amazing crisis that was. But It had been settled as far as the soul was concerned some years before in the tent. And then on the very last Lord's Day afternoon, as we was preaching, there was another grown man, a son with his father. And you know, as the appeal was given, like we've been giving the appeals in the meetings these previous nights, there didn't dad and this man, two men, an older man and his son, came walking right down the aisle of the tent and right through into the back room. That was just the beginning of God's wonderful working in that family. It went on through that family in the years that followed after. And my, what a wonderful work was wrought because of a moment of conviction. I couldn't stand it any longer. There's a fine lady here in County Armagh. She's now a teacher, quite high up in education. And as a young woman, she came one night again to attend mission over in Banbridge. And one night she waited to seek the Lord. And she said to Mrs. Stewart when she was pointing her to Jesus Christ, she said, you know, if your husband had asked me to climb to the ridge pole of this tent. She said, I would have done it to get right with God. I want to get saved. She has lived many years now to prove the wonderful reality of that evening. That was an hour of conviction. That was an hour of power. And I could go on sharing more stories about people who came to that point of conviction, sometimes to see them openly weep in meetings and be stirred and moved and come back the next night to the mission, again drawn by God. Oh, for an hour when the Lord will work in your heart. We're sitting now at a quarter to nine. The meeting started at eight o'clock. And we're going to be through in a few moments' time. But there comes a special moment. There comes a special moment. A day, and this is the day, the 25th. The hour, 8 o'clock to 9, tonight. Will this be your hour? To look at me, perhaps, and say, You know, Mr. Stewart, almost you're persuading me. Almost I feel persuaded to become a Christian. I remember that hour in my life. I do. You've heard me say it before. I remember that hour. The service did start at 8 o'clock. It did go a little beyond 9. There were about two to 300 people in the church in Oma. Big Presbyterian church in Oma. Because they had to move from the Methodist church which was relatively small into the next and then to finish in the largest building in the town because the crowds were increasing night by night. And that was the hour of power and conviction in my heart. And it seemed that night as if Mr. Parrott was just speaking to me. Just to me. And what was his message? Well, it was from Luke chapter 23. Herod was desirous to see Jesus for a long season and question him about many things. He hoped also to have seen some miracle done by him. But Jesus answered him nothing. You know why? God had sent a messenger to Herod. That messenger was John the Baptist. And what did Herod do with John the Baptist? He had him beheaded. And when you behead a man, you cut off his voice. Herod cut off the voice of God through John the Baptist. And in the gospel records, you never read of Jesus speaking to Herod. He spoke about him, but he never spoke to him because Herod had cut off God's voice to his heart. And the power of God speaking into our hearts is important that we don't cut off the voice of God because Jesus answered him nothing. And the speaker said, there may come a time when you will want to be saved but you will have missed the day of opportunity. Remember, it was the last night but one of the mission. And he knew, just as I have learned down through the years, that when you get to those critical nights in a mission, that is an opportunity passed and a moment is gone and may never come again. And it seemed as if he was speaking to me. He said, There may come a time when you will want to be saved and you will want to get right with God, but the voice will not speak to you. And you will have missed that opportunity. And all that day, that had been the ringing thought in my conscience and consciousness. And I had said on the farm that day, at dinner time, God, if you spare me till tonight, I will be saved. And I had come, but God was tacking the message, home with power and tongue function and compunction into my heart. Oh, yes. The moment. And when that moment came, as it did each night, and there was a hymn sung or an invitation given. And I remember for me, it was a very simple invitation. It was merely as the people were bowed in prayer and the servant of God had prayed. And then he said, if there is anyone in the congregation tonight who is responding to the claims of Jesus Christ, and you are coming now to him, would you lift up your head and look at me? And as soon as he asked, I lifted my head and looked at him. I wasn't the only one that night. My, I don't care what he would have asked me to do. If he had asked me to put up my hand, I'd have done it. If he'd asked me to step out and walk down the aisle, I would have done it because it wasn't really the outward action that saved me. It was the heart behind it. I had let go. (laughs) I had surrendered. I had bowed the knee. And mind you, I tell you, thinking back, I had fought it many a time. I had fought it many a time. I hadn't wanted to bow the knee as a younger man. In my earlier teens, there was a struggle from time to time. Invariably, I came to a a, a kind of a crest and, and fought it off and resisted it off. But this time that I'm telling you about, I said, here goes. I'm going with Jesus. You know something, friends? I've never regretted it and I've never looked back and the tongue that I had that my parents would never have heard me use at home, for it wouldn't have been so nice for me, I tell you, the Lord changed my tongue. He cleaned it up. (laughs) He cleaned it up, and he gave me a whole new vocabulary for the old that I had lost. And I'd got new desires. I found myself in the prayer meeting in a little prayer union in Port Newton Stewart in County Tyrone. And I heard people pray. And then I later on got to praying. And the first night I prayed, I hardly knew whether it was on my head or I was on the seat. Uh, but I got started, friends. I did. And then God swept into my life in a, a sanctifying baptism. And a man came and he said, Eric, would you like to join our open air team in Straban? We meet there and met Dara and some other people that you would maybe know if I shared their names with you. And God opened doors to me. And then we got into Fintna Testimony Band. It was a group of young people who could all play accordions. And dear old John Watson we called him John the Baptist. He was. He had about 60 years ago. He called all us young people, got us around together with his own family, and we went through the country with the accordions and playing and testifying. And then he said, you know, there was a couple of us boys, and he said, would you, would you preach a wee word tonight? And we started May 1965, friends, way back then. It's like donkeys years ago. It's like a lady sometimes meets Mrs. Stewart and she says, we haven't met for donkeys and donkeys. (laughs) Donkeys and donkeys years ago. And friends tonight, here, here we are. Here I am in the latest hour of my life. And I want to tell you, it has been an adventure. An adventure. What about putting your hand into the hand of Jesus? Whether you lift your head up or put your hand up or walk down and get in there at wherever you do it or whatever you do, ye kneel at the cross and trust the Lord Jesus. And don't be almost. Don't be almost. Almost is but to fail. Almost will not avail. Sad, sad, that bitter wail. Almost. But lost. Friends, the Royal Charter was a a ship that sailed between Australia and and Liverpool, from Queenstown in Australia to Liverpool. And she foundered in what was known as the Royal Charter Storm. 200 vessels foundered. 1859 it was, the year of the revival. Over 400 lives were lost. The captain was a man I we'll just kind of forget his name now. I Parker, I think it was, was his name. And uh, news was carried to his wife and family. The ship founder just off Anglesey. And whenever the message came to the home, he found there the, the captain's wife and the family. And they were all waiting because they knew the ship was due to come in that, that morning. And he carried the news to the family that the husband had perished almost within the sight of land. And whenever the news broke, a cry went up from her heart and out through her lips. Oh, she said, oh God, so near home, but lost. So near home, but lost. Could you be so near home? So near salvation? So near to trusting Jesus? So near to the cross? So near to the kingdom? Even this Monday evening? And yet be lost? And stay that way? And... Risk being lost forever? It's not worth taking, my dear people. It's a risk that's not worth taking. No man should do it. No woman should do it. No young person should do it. Because we are only a heartbeat from eternity. Doesn't matter what age we are. Little boy was sent, he asked his mommy, Mommy, what time, what age do people die at? And she gave him a string and told him to go to the local cemetery. This is how the story goes. And he went and he came back and she said, tie a knot on every grave and whatever you, and he came back and there were knots in different places. And he, she, he said, well, what does that mean, mom? Well, she says, son, it means that people die at all ages. Now, that might just be an illustration. But that's absolutely true. People die at all ages. And so it's good to put yourself in the place of safety. Old Eisenhower, General Eisenhower, sent a message to the German nation just whenever the Allied forces were about to roll in and take control and overpower uh, Hitler and all his forces. And he sent a message to the German people and he said, the end is near. Hide yourselves and your families in the safest place. Do it now, for there is danger and death and delay. I think that that has got a spiritual message for all of us tonight as we come to the end of the service. The end is near. Hide yourself, hide your families, in the safest place. Do it now. Do it now. For there is danger and death in delay. Oh, that you might be able to say this night, as if the Apostle Paul were to come to you, and you were to put yourself in Agrippa's sandals, and you would say, Paul, I'll not be almost persuaded. I will be altogether persuaded and you will move one step further than this man moved and that will be the best step that you will ever take. Out of my bondage, sorrow and night, Jesus, I come. Into thy freedom, gladness and light, Jesus, I come to thee. I would love tonight to be able to point you to the Lord Jesus Christ. I want to take word home tonight to Mrs. Stewart that someone trusted Jesus Christ tonight to be saved. Oh, wouldn't she be a happy woman? She's praying for you now. She doesn't know you're here by name. But she said to me, Eric, I'll be praying for you. When you're preaching, I'll be praying. And I've got another intercessor. And every time I'm on a platform, I know, no matter where I am, this country or wherever, I know that she is at the throne of grace interceding for the meeting. I never stand to preach without the knowledge that there's one person that I know who is on her knees and seeking God as an intercessor for meetings that I'm in. You are included in that earnest cry. Will this be the night when you will come and trust the Savior and be altogether persuaded and say as you look back, Thank God for that night, the 25th of October, 2021. Mother's prayers were answered. Or, son's prayers were answered. Daughter's prayers were answered. That night I came. That night I trusted the Lord. Let's bow together in prayer. Dear friends, please, let's unite our hearts together. Lord Jesus, tonight we pray that as the moments have gone so quickly by, flying past, an hour has swiftly flown by, and we have sensed ourselves, Lord, to be in a chamber of conviction and confrontation, not maybe confrontation, but challenge, Lord. And tonight we pray that as that challenge has come to individual hearts, Lord, oh, we so pray this evening, dear Savior, that there will be grace given to someone tonight, just even one will give joy in heaven, more than over 99 people who don't need to repent, who have already repented. Oh, Lord, hear us, we pray, as we come to our closing hymn, In Jesus' precious and worthy name we pray, amen.